never again will the arts be taken for granted. It took something seismic and shocking like the pandemic to sweep it away. It is the paradox of the pandemic. I'm Patrick Lonergan, I'm a professor of drama and theatre studies at NUI Galway, and I will be talking to Maureen, who was appointed Director of the Arts Council in April 2020. seen interviews and so on with you um, since you took over as, as head of the Arts Council that make the point that you were appointed I think it was something like three days before the first lockdown was announced. Yes that's so right. Obviously the, the first few months I mean it was always going to be I'm sure a, uh, a baptism of fire but it's probably been very strange has it? It has been extremely strange, but, you know, it's been great um, and, yeah, certainly different to what I would have anticipated. So when I joined, people had adapted to remote working very well. There's a very good IT team in the Arts Council and they had equipped people really, really quickly. And that was just terrific to see. So people had... Um, thought about the the organizations and the artists and how they were going to kind of communicate with them well and that I think you know that has worked really well actually there's been a very high level of responsibility and care shown towards the the, the arts, artists and organizations with whom we deal all year um, the council moved immediately to make 90% of organizations funding available to them and that was just a real vote of reassurance to say look God knows what's ahead, very choppy waters, no doubt. So have the reassurance of that. And that was that sent a signal to, to the sector, to the profession that, look, we're, we're here for you, no, come what may. And that spirit has continued all year. And um, we obviously have been in touch with the department m much more than usual, I think. You know, I think that, that there's a very high level and very good level of communication with the department. And that resulted in an uplift of funding um, from 80 million to 105 million this year. So an initial 20 million when Josepha Madigan was still in the post and then an additional 5 million under Catherine Martin's auspices under the July stimulus package. Well, it was a huge boost to people to see that level of funding, the, 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 you know, the very significant increase. But I think in a way this kind of came out of the lockdown that while we saw that arts workers were among the very worst affected by the lockdown with theatres being closed, galleries being closed. Everybody who was on lockdown, they went for normal people on RTE TV. They read books, they listened to audio books, they listened to music, they played music themselves. Like if ever you needed a reminder of the importance of the arts to people's well-being, like lockdown was it. I mean, do you think that's a lesson that people can take forward or is there a risk now that we kind of just go back to normal? I, th I think everything has changed actually and um, in a good way. And this is not to disregard, obviously, the huge turmoil and, and tragedy that has befallen many, many people, you know, both from a, a health point of view and then from a, a livelihood point of view and just well-being um, from, from the whole kind of psychological health point of view. But I do, you know, I think that never again will the arts be taken for granted because it took something seismic and shocking like the pandemic to sweep it away and obliter obliterate it for people to say, wow, gosh, that's all gone. Or, you know, I can hang on to a bit that was created before, but what, what would life be like if, you know, it didn't include all these fantastic events? So 
yeah, it's it is the paradox of the pandemic showing that, and and it's funny, it kind of echoed back for me to I know in the past there were frequently thoughts when when people would be campaigning for the arts to say, well, let's have a one day strike and let's just show the public what life would be like without this very rich tapestry, without the wallpaper, the weather of the arts in our lives. Um, so I do think that point has been made. That's not to say we don't have to make it again and again and again, you know, and, and I think the advocacy around the arts has been very, very good this year. Um, and I think, you know, there's a real listening ear there in the government and also in the public. An enormous amount of progress has been made and the fact that the funding is now somewhat near where it should be um is very good and i'd hope that you know that would be treated as as the baseline for for years to come because of course what the pandemic has shown us too is the the much greater need that's there so in terms of our own supports demand uh has been up by an astro astronomical level for many of our schemes and of course, you have musicians and it was particularly acute for them because the way the pandemic fell, we have seen that people are coming to us for support who never would have seen us as a likely source of support. Um, so the sector has widened um, and that's that's very interesting, but it'll be challenging too because, you know, there, there will be uh, there'll be more more need for the supports that we have. The fact that the arts were given that, that kind of precedence in relation to the funding is is a sign of hope. Let's hope anyway. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure when you started, obviously, you would have had a kind of a vision. And for me, as somebody who's teaching people who were, you know, who this September made a choice to go and study drama or music or creative writing, like they have a vision of, of what the next 50 years of an arts career in Ireland might look like for themselves. Has your vision changed much because of COVID or, do, you know, do you still have the same kind of level of ambition that you had coming into it? It's been strengthened, if anything. So I, I guess like I, I have tried always to work um, with the, the, the a similar level of attention to an event that might be for like 10 people in a library and to bring that same level of attention and care and professionalism and high production values to something that's on in the convention centre in Dublin, you know, so to look at it in a very kind of holistic way to see that you have so many different people who are interested in the arts and that it's your duty to deliver them the highest quality of event across all art forms and in in the most accessible way and I suppose for me access has never meant dumbing down and because I've worked on a multidisciplinary level and I've worked in Galway and Kilkenny I think you see then things really making a huge impact on the ground and you see how community communities work together in a really brilliant collaborative way and and you see how you can break down all sorts of barriers by getting people involved in you know outdoor door Shakespeare Kilkenny Castle people who would never have thought oh yeah I'm actually interested in Shakespeare you know would, maybe would have run a mile and then they see it presented in a particular way and they just it flicks a switch for them so so I suppose that's that was for me was the attraction of the role was I'd worked on that had loved it and worked with incredible teams of people all the way along so the idea of being able to work on a very grand scale to do that is was just irresistible so and that's that's why i'm i'm so interested in it you know to be able to hopefully make a difference in terms of switching so many more people on to to the power of the arts i think it's something that in galway city people sometimes might lose sight of because we have the arts festival 
And there is that kind of thing where where it's almost like the the big top gigs that have thousands of people at them are almost like a kind of a gateway drug into uh, an end of Walsh play. And, and you know, so so not seeing the, the differences between different forms of culture is a way to really broaden people's access to it as well. Um, so we have that in Galway City. We're lucky Kilkenny has it as well. But of course, you go out into Connemara and like there's very rich stuff happening in Clifton and Roundstone and so on. But other parts of Connemara may be less well served. And then there are parts of Ireland where, where they, they haven't had access to the same kind of level of professional arts events. So, you know, I mean, in the 90s, the idea was like, let's put arts venues all over the place. And, and you know, that was very well intentioned, but had some problems in terms of just sustaining buildings and things like that. How do we how do we give access to people across the whole country um, in a context like this? I mean, it's a huge question, but new spaces may spring up as a result of the pandemic, you know, and also the fact that you have, you'll have regional hubs of working. So, you know, what can we do with those hubs? You know, they could be performance, they could be rehearsal spaces. There are all sorts of interesting policies. Broadband is going to be accelerated, which is very necessary, but very exciting. And I think that a, a broadband officer is going to be appointed in each county. So again, in the new scenario whereby digital work, both how it's disseminated and how it's actually made, you know, there's no doubt that things have changed in that regard you know obviously it will never replace the the physical the in-person experience you know I think we'd all absolutely admit that you know but there's a growing awareness of the impact that digital work can have so that's very exciting to think about. Yeah I think so and especially that it's spread around the whole country so you know even though like I'm from Dublin myself but one of the allergies I've developed from living in Galway is the idea that you know Dublin is the place where national art happens and then you have this other thing called regional art um like I just unless unless Dublin is a region too I think we shouldn't call things you know regional art and so it's really yeah. heartening to hear you know a kind of a policy direction that you're talking about there that that is about the idea that that we have artists in every town um, we have venues in every town that, that can bring artists from other places and that it is a genuinely kind of national art form in the sense that everybody gets to both you know, participate in it, but be an audience for it as well. Yeah, I, I remember reading a great interview that Aaron Monaghan gave about uh, Living Dread and, you know, that idea about, well, I'm from Cavan and of course, like, of course, everybody should have an entitlement to really good quality theatre, you know, and... I, I, I believe passionately in that myself. I mean, I'm from a small town in North Kerry and my own access to Druid, as it happens, who toured to the plaza, which was the kind of cinema, the kind of converted cinema back then, um, toured with conversations in a homecoming there. And luckily my mother had the wit and wisdom to bring me to it age 14 or 15, you know, and you can imagine like starting off with a, such a, an electrifying theatre experience like that is pretty amazing you know and when you stitch it back down when you think god i'm from this very remote place which might not have any access whatsoever to arts events so like i know what i can do i know what it did for me and for for people who lived you know in my neck of the woods so that's why i'm particularly passionate about it and you know when, when i lived in kilkenny in particular and working on kilkenny arts festival um, I remember well that uh, Deutsche Bank at the time, they're now called State Street, but they were considering a move to Kilkenny and they met with various people, as, as you do when you're considering these things. 
And the fact that Kilkenny at that stage had Kilkenny Arts Festival and the Cat Labs Comedy Festival was a really major motivating factor in them saying, OK, this is a place where we can bring staff, we can be proud of our culture. You know, it's an interesting, very appealing, energetic environment. So, you know, I've, I've seen so much firsthand the impact that culture has on a place and um, you know, now that we have this increased investment and that we have people, you know, we're, we're, we're well set up in terms of, as you say, we have that necklace of terrific venues and all the other supports, you know, the local authority does terrific work, but wider than that as well, there's the Heritage Council and now, as I say, these new broadband officers, there's, there's a really good network there that we can all tap into. And I think, you know, there's an, an increasing awareness of, work-life balance that I think will come into, into view in a big way in years to come. One of the things that I'm very interested in, I suppose, over the next 10 years is that on the one hand, we know that one of the ways that Irish art can thrive is by international exposure, international touring and things like that. But there's also the fear in some ways that that somebody, you know, an actor moves to London and that we, that's the last we kind of see them here or LA and that's the last we see them uh, for the same reason. And so, so there is that thing about, um, you know, wanting to, as Drew do, they, they use Ireland as a base, they make their work, but they stage the work. They can have it in, in North Kerry one day and in New York a month later, as happened with that conversations in a homecoming that you saw, you know, in the 80s. Um, how can we how can we hang on to, to people and, and let people have kind of sustainable careers in Ireland uh, while still being plugged into those international networks? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is dignify the artist's life by ensuring that we pay them properly. And earlier this year, we launched our pay the artist policy, and that's at the core of absolutely everything we do. You know, we, do, we don't launch a scheme or give a grant without thinking, OK, well, how much is the artist going to get paid here? Have people properly considered? So the day of, you know, thinking, oh, it's a hobby and sure, look, they'll be delighted with the exposure, whatever, the, all, all the refrains that you, we've heard so much that day is gone, that day is over. Um, and so that's that's a new dawn for the artist, I think, you know, because now we're saying, look, we absolutely realize that, you know, we don't want you to rely on money that you have from elsewhere, or, you know, we don't want you to waitress half the year or, you know, all the, all the other jobs that pe people take up. We want to absolutely ensure that a career is viable, you know, and that you don't have to think, oh, well, there are things in life that I'll have to forego because, oh, well, I've chosen to be an actor. So therefore, I'm going to have to think that I'm going to be out of work half the time and I can't really afford a family and buying a house is never a realistic option for me. I'd love to see that day gone. And the, the as I said, the pay the artist is, is, is a, a hugely important policy for us. But this I mentioned the cultural recovery task force and the idea of universal basic income now is you know catching some fire and I think it's a Green Party policy as part of the program for government you know and I think that that would give people the reassurance you know so it's it's about financial reassurance and stability but it's also about dignity you know we've talked about dignity in terms of issues in in theatre and, and in the arts you know but I think dignifying somebody's life by saying, I want to pay you properly and I want to ensure that you can have the same things that every other person in different parts of the economy and different parts of society expect to have. I think that would be a very, very good thing for us to do. Is there something else? I mean, the, I think the universal basic income thing, if it, if it takes off, could be amazing. We've seen that in other countries that when it's been trialled, 
uh, it's been completely transformative. So, you know, it has huge potential. But something that we often talk about is the idea of the kind of the ecosystem of the creative arts in Ireland, which is to say that, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier that Deutsche Bank talk about going to go Kenny. They look at the arts festival. We look on the impact that Game of Thrones has had on the on the economy of Northern Ireland. Um, we look at the way in which, you know, as I said a minute ago, if you if you take um, take something like normal people, for example, you see the impact that has on education recruitment in Ireland into the future, for example, you can see how it'll affect tourism, you can see how it'll affect uh, local publishing, small publishers like Trump can benefit from from the higher profile of somebody like Sally Rooney, even though she's not published by Trump, and so on. So, so in other words, it's the interconnectedness of the creative arts to all of these other parts of our economy uh, that are easy to measure. And so, you know, in, in Britain, they've done this thing of, of calling it the creative industries and trying to measure it in, in that very hard boiled way. Is, is that something that would work for Ireland, do you think, or should we be looking at different ways of, of, um, of thinking about the ecosystem? I think the interconnectedness of it is key to it, because, yeah, taking Sally Rooney, for example, um, who received a bursary from us way back um, when she was writing or editing conversations with friends, um, and when you look at now, you know, the, the, and, and of course, she's unusual in that, but you know, we, we have to, we're burdening her with much in, in talking about her all the time, you know, but um, when you look at the, the success of that, you know, but she, she's, she's one of, of many, obviously, that has been supported, you know, so I think making that connection is important because you do need to think about, you know, the actor or the writer who was starting out, you know, with modest ambitions and who does end up on a on a global scale as so many of our artists do and all the spillover effects that that has look at cartoon saloon in kilkenny an incredible success you know so you have an arts visual artist there ross George, who uh, was the director i think on their most recent film you know somebody who probably started off with i'd imagine you know bursaries from local arts office possibly from the arts council as well yeah, well, even if you were saying there about open air Shakespeare in Kilkenny, and this reminds me that I saw Paul Meskell, who later went on to star in, in Normal People, playing in a Shakespeare play in the open air in Kilkenny three years ago or something like that in A Midsummer Night's Dream. And it's a great example of interconnectedness the whole way through the, the sector yeah. and society as well. But yeah. I wanted to just think about, you know, future generations again, like, you know, you came to the Arts Council from Poetry Ireland. And one of the great things about Poetry Ireland for, for a very long time has been things like the Writers in Schools scheme, uh, the focus on education and uh, the focus on, you know, developing in young people a belief that they can understand poetry, but that they can write it as well. So, like, clearly education has been a big strand in a lot of the work that you've done over the years. Um, how, how important do you think education is in, in the next decade again? For the oh, Ireland. Massively so. And, you know, if we're not catching people early, you know, we're always failing. You're always worried about a generation that you're missing, you know. Um, and it's even more important now because obviously children and young people are going through a particularly hard time with the pandemic. And there are really acute challenges in terms of access to dance education um, under the current levels to, to do with with um the COVID protocols you know so you do really worry about things like that because you're worried about somebody who might 
be relying on that so much for, for their own development, their own personal development and, and well-being. So and it is, as I say, it's a worry because of the, the current restrictions, you know, see, and you think about somebody who might have had an ambition to have a career as a dancer. And maybe now they'd be looking at all this information about the arts and thinking, oh, wow, gosh, this is all this has been fragile and this has been swept away because of, pan of the pandemic. And you worry that they may think, OK, well, that's just not a viable career and I better look elsewhere. So I think that we have an extra imperative to focus on children and young people for the next few years. And, and the Arts Council is very keen to do that. You know, there are programmes that we support, many programmes already through uh, existing programmes, including Poetry Ireland's Writers in school, Schools, of course. And like having seen firsthand the transformative impact that has on children, that's just astonishing. And the extremely high level of professionalism and care that those writers bring into the classroom, you know, and they treat it the same as if they were reading from the South Bank Centre, you know, like there's just that level of this matters, this hour that I spend with a child of 10 could be a real light switch moment, you know, and can just be a very comforting thing for, for them to have that kind of attention. And there's also the feeling of, oh, wow, a real live, living, breathing poet, you know, there's, there's that sense of enormous excitement that you bring the outside world into the classroom. But yeah, certainly we will be training our sites on, on existing schemes for young people and children. And something that my colleague Shona Nivrian, who heads up our young people and children's uh, department, is very focused on is the idea of youth voice and where is the young person's voice and all that. And we have some really exciting ideas around how we're going to include young people more in our decision making around the, the grants that we make and and you know the policy we will be developing a new policy in this area next year and it's really crucial that we have young people's voices in their front and front and center yeah i mean it's one of the things i often think when you look at children and the way they practice art is a child doesn't break things down into disciplines they they'll sing and they'll dance and they'll invent stories and they'll they'll paint uh whether on a wall whether you want them to or not um but the idea of expressing their their perspective on the world through a variety of different ways it, it's very inherent to to a lot of children and it's something that you know is is often almost kind of trained out of them in some ways so it's great to kind of hang on to that in, in so far as we can yeah but, I suppose what it also makes me think of, though, as well, the way the way the arts are developing now. I mean, you talked earlier about the way that theatre now is is being uh, reconsidered through things like Zoom because of the pandemic and even things like readings are going online as well. And there is that extent to which a lot of the, the arts now are kind of breaking down in terms of their barriers where you've got actors who are writing plays, musicians who are, you know, um, engaged with with visual artists and so on. Uh, how does an arts council that, that that is discipline focused, where you've got your visual arts officer and your literature officer and your theatre officer, how do you, and maybe this is an impossible question to answer, but how do you leave yourselves open for the kind of art that, that hasn't yet been defined in terms of a discipline or a structure or a boundary? That's a really good question. It's it's something we've been talking a lot about ourselves in, in recent weeks and months. Um, I guess, yeah, by being open to things. Um, so we have a scheme which came out of the 2016 commemorations called Open Call, 
and that's where we want to invest in major projects of very large ambition and typically they've been quite multidisciplinary um but across the and, and you're right you know the way we're structured at the moment is you know you have your head of visual arts and theater and so on but when you look at what we support then there's actually a huge cross section of multidisciplinary work so actually it's something that it's very opposite that you asked me this because it's something where we want to look at ourselves in terms of saying okay how much do we actually invest in cross art form of multidisciplinary work and when we look at something like Kilkenny Arts Festival or Galway International Arts Festival uh, all those art centres um, where it's hugely multidisciplinary um, but I do think you're right like the the pandemic is has exposed people to to working in a more collaborative way together so like recently I was very encouraged to see um, Leon Bell the designer and uh, waking the feminist founder and she's in receipt of a bursary from us and she had a call out on twitter which was asking people look if you have a bursary of you know in whatever discipline i want to do kind of check-in clinics with you you know so something like that can be really powerful in terms of getting disciplines talking to each other because in in practice it's they're they're quite connected and people are want to kind of take risks and explore the boundaries of their own work by by working across disciplines so i think lots of exciting work will come through in, in years to come it's a conversation we have all the time as well because in in the academic world we're organized into departments as well and so, you know, I teach at the moment, I'm teaching a theatre class in which I've got students who are from music and students who are from theatre. And it's great to talk to them about something like Hamilton, where the theatre people will say, well, you know, this is because of uh, this play that was on. But then the music people can say, well, yeah, but that's the same error as the song from Les Mis. And uh, so just really interesting interplay there. And you see how uh, the interconnectedness sparks people off in new ways. But education brings me to, to ask, so you're a former student of NUI Galway, I think, is it twice or just once? Twice at the time was a higher diploma in arts administration. And I think it's discontinued since. Um, it became a master's. And uh, so that was back in the 90s. And then I came back again. And of course, back then it was UCG. And then when it had morphed into NUIG, I attended again. And I did the MA in literature and publishing in 2008. And both brilliant experiences. The Birch Festival, I think, is that right? I had uh, I volunteered the first time when I moved to Galway. First, I volunteered, and uh, the late Mike Diskin was very involved in our course. And of course, at the time, he was director of Galway Arts Centre. So I ran the bookshop in court in 1994, 1995, which was great fun. And then when I came back. In 2008, I was asked then, coincident with my moving back, I was asked, would I be the programme director for court? So um, I just couldn't resist. It was kind of like a dream job for me at that stage. And it was very complimentary, actually, with the course with the MA in literature and publishing. So it was it was great. It was it was madly busy, but it was insanely enjoyable, I have to say. And uh, I ended up doing it the following year as well. It's it's I mean, I think it's always a debate about how how much you can teach somebody um, for a career in the arts, you know, and the, that old debate about whether you can teach somebody creative writing or not, for example, goes on. And in a way, I think it's it's not so much that people expect that they can be trained in the way that you train a doctor. It's it's almost like the year or the time to actually just practice the thinking about it and the, the focus on it and so on. 
But um, I mean, in terms of your own training or your own career development, was it was it a combination of, of experience and education that got you to where you were? It was. I mean, it's that thing of osmosis, like being in Galway, you can't fail if you're open to it in any way at all. I mean, it's just going to go in and it's just going to completely excite you and energize you, I think. So my path to Galway was I was volunteering in the James Joyce Centre in Dublin the year before I moved to Galway and loved that worked there with a great man who was, was sadly deceased uh, but from Uttarard originally but uh, Ken Monaghan super guy and was James Joyce's nephew so he was director of the James Joyce Centre so uh, he taught me loads he taught me lots of really good things and um, I applied for for the course and got it and moved to Galway so I hadn't lived in Galway before then but um, it was the perfect place to to be to study arts administration. The year, the course was just three years old at that stage, so you know they're still kind of finding their way. And I guess the very best thing about it was doing it in Galway, being in a classroom with fourteen like-minded souls, having the likes of poet Michael Gorman, Mary O'Malley, um, Mike Diskin. I already mentioned Rebecca Bartlett. Great people, you know, come and teach us and talk to us about what they were doing um and also then i did my work experience in druid there was there was a two months um inbuilt work experience program so i was very lucky to get in there early got, got the prize slot with druid and she, that was just phenomenal that was just amazing so worked there very closely with jane daly and with gary hines and just learned so much and ended up kind of working there for the bones a year i think eventually various so things at the time they were just getting going with martin mcdonough and all that wasn't yeah it? exactly right. yeah 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 which is yeah a big international breakthrough basically yeah, yeah. exactly it was yeah yeah, yeah. beautiful so, the man was touring and uh there was a production the 21st anniversary was being celebrated through a, a production of the loves of cast mcguire um and mclally came back to be in that marie mullen so i mean it was just an incredibly exciting time there was a great the productions i worked on god i'm so fond of them um there was a production of the singular life of albert knobs the george moore piece and wow. this amazing french director called simone ben Moussa directed it and she was just oh she was such a thrill to work with a uh, we bought a darts board for the rehearsal room so we used to play darts with Simone <laughs> like she was probably about 75 at that stage so there was brilliant cast in it Jane Brennan was in it and Clara Simpson and the late Jane Snow was just a brilliant person um got Dawn Bradfield just super super cast seven seven women in total i think yeah jane brennan played albert now she was super and uh worked on billy roach's poor beast in the rain so that was just great fun billy was fantastic and the late peter caffrey was in that and marion o'dwyer god there was yeah i mean just what what you learned you know from working in those productions worked on Tom Murphy's The Blue Makushla that Tommy Tiernan was in and Maria Doyle Kennedy and Anthony Brophy and all sorts of great people. So, yeah, I mean, it was just it was just a dream time. I know this is what I mean when we talk about being spoiled in Galway. You can, you know, yeah. you can really get to, to see so much great stuff on your own doorstep a lot of the time. And, and I think it's just that the challenge is, is ensuring that more people can have that experience. And, and as you say that we get them young, I, I think is a big yeah. part of it too. And, you know, you mentioned um, like Waking the Feminists, obviously with Lean Bell was very influential. Sounding the Feminists has happened. 
as well for for Irish music. But but we're always aware, I think, that you know the the issue of diversity still looms large. Like that there are whole communities that that either you know don't see themselves being reflected in in Irish art or they don't have opportunities to participate as makers themselves. So, you know, I mean, there's a lot done, but more to do if we can use that yeah. expression. Uh, just the widest range of voices possible. So something we did over, over the summer was to bring together focus groups. So artists or people working in the arts, but mainly artists who may have felt completely marginalized from our programs in the past were brought together and talked to us very frankly, and you know, very emotionally at times about the barriers that they feel there, there there are in terms of the work that we do you know so we're we're very very aware of that we have um we have somebody very good um in our strategic development department monica corcoran who's working in a very focused way on these policies along with Alwyn Daw and you know driving them forward with with great intent and care yeah i think there, there are a lot of signs for hope though as well without without denying the seriousness of the of the challenges i think for example, I recently uh, in an English lecture course been teaching Lucy Caldwell's anthology Being Various, which is a collection of Irish short stories. And they're from they're written by people from all parts of the island, but they're also people who have a kind of very broad diversity of identities where they're Irish, but they also have heritage related to China or Nigeria or other parts of the world as well. And uh, to, you know, to read a short story that is very obviously and distinctively Irish, but that is also written by somebody who, whose whose parents might have come from somewhere else is really exciting, I think. So so there are things there that I think we can we can certainly build on. Um, I agree. No, it's, and it's, it's a really exciting time ahead, you know, just to see properly that that rich panoply of artists, you know, represented out there and, and to know that we have an opportunity now to, to work and promote their work um, is really, really exciting. We have, you know, nearly 100 students who joined us in Galway this September with aspirations to have a career in the arts. And, you know, to hear you talking about the idea that they can they can aspire to be able to make a living in Ireland that is internationally aware that they can have the dignity of getting paid for the work that they do. Um, and, and all the other things, I think it's it's really heartening and positive at a time when people probably need a bit of good news. So if we can support people and if they can just gather and kind of regroup and, and work on some developmental things like the, the reopening up is going to be, I think it's going to be explosive. You know, I think it's going to be fantastic, you know, because like people will just have worked you know so well i think together you know i think there'll be a real spirit of collaboration abroad you know and i think you know the whole pandemic has has brought forward people's empathy far far more you know i think that people are going to be much kinder and careful about each other you know and i think the arts are going to be a very good vehicle for that in fact a special thanks to our NUI galway alumni maureen Kennelly, director of the arts council and also to you for listening that brings our podcast to a close you can listen to more NUI Galway alumni stories on the Kush Curriba podcast series available at impact.nuigalway.ie. I'm Patrick Lonergan, Professor of Drama and Theatre Studies at NUI Galway. Thanks for listening.